You know, life is full of choices. You and I make choices all day, every day. It's estimated that the average person makes 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every day. And I think for the most part, we love choices because we don't like people telling us what to do. We like options, right? I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant where they have the, the Coca-Cola freestyle machine. You know, it's got this digital screen, and, and there are like dozens of different drink options. We took uh, a group of 11-year-old boys uh, out a couple of Saturdays ago, and uh, they were just in heaven because they were scrolling through and finding all these different drink combinations. But what I noticed was sometimes there's too many choices because the, the line to get a drink was really long because they kept scrolling through making sure that they got the right drink and that there wasn't a better one that they wanted. Sometimes there's too many choices. Some choices have low stakes, right? What outfit am I going to wear? Am I going to get up or am I going to hit the snooze button? What am I going to eat for lunch? At the store, what checkout line am I going to go in? Other choices have high stakes. What career am I going to pursue? Am I going to get married? Should I buy or rent? What, what city do I want to live in? And there are some choices that have eternal stakes. Who is Jesus? What is the purpose of life? What happens when I die? When it comes to Jesus, our choices today define our eternity tomorrow. Our choices today define our eternity tomorrow. All summer long, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has primarily been addressing His disciples. But large crowds have gathered around, and so as Jesus brings His sermon to a conclusion, He invites the crowds to listen in. Because it's not just His disciples, but everyone ultimately has a choice that has to be made. We're going to read together in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Here in Matthew chapter 7, we see four sets of contrasting pairs. And each of these pairs highlights a choice that we have to make. We're going to look at the first three today, and then next Sunday we'll look at the fourth one. 
The first choice we have is the choice of paths. The choice of paths. Yogi Berra, the legendary New York Yankees catcher, famously said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. How do you know which one to take? Jesus says there are two ways. The first way is through the wide gate and the broad road. The the picture here is one of ease and comfort. I picture strolling down the highway on on a Sunday afternoon. It's sunny. There's a gentle breeze. You know, it's ease. It's comfort. You're just strolling along. And Jesus says that many people go through the wide gate, but it ends in destruction. In Scripture, destruction is a common word for eternal punishment. 2 Peter 3 verse 7 says, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, the other way is through the narrow gate and the narrow road. The picture we get here is one of difficulty and opposition. Here, I picture traveling through a thick jungle. It's hot, and it's humid, and and it's sweaty, and and, and you've got your machete, and you're you're cutting through vines and and branches to, to make your way down the narrow path. What makes the narrow road difficult? Well, part of the reason is because the majority of people who are going down the wide road oppress and mock and and ridicule and even persecute those who are on the narrow road. And Jesus says, for this reason, few find it. Few people go through the narrow road, but although few go through it, it ends in life. So I want to be clear today. There are two ways and only two. We live in a world where people are encouraged to pursue their truth. There are people who say that there are many roads that you can take, and you choose whatever road is best for you. You know, all roads lead to the same place. You do whatever makes you feel good. You do whatever feels, feels right to you. You do whatever makes you feel happy. And that worldview has made its way into the church. A recent Pew Research study on American religious landscape produced some shocking findings. The survey asks, do all religions lead to God? Two-thirds, two-thirds of Christians believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. And 50% of all Christians believe that some non-Christian religions can lead to life everlasting. Now, a lot of people may believe that, But that simply isn't what Jesus says. With Jesus, there is no middle ground. You're either with him or you're against him. There's no such thing as a spiritual Switzerland, okay? There is no spiritual neutrality. In the August 1915 issue of the Atlantic Monthly, Robert Frost published one of his most famous poems titled, The Road Not Taken. You've probably heard it before. Here's what he says in the final stanza. Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. The way of Jesus is the road less traveled. It's not the popular way. It's not the easy way, but it is the only way to life. 
Now, now maybe you look at the wide road and you say, well, but, but everybody's doing it. Everybody's going down the wide road, so that means that it's got to be the right one. I don't know if you've ever made decisions because everybody's doing it. It's not always the best decision. If your mantra in life is, is everybody's doing it, then you're going to have a hard time following Jesus. I remember when I was in high school, it seemed like everybody was getting frosted tips on their hair. I did it, and it wasn't a good decision, okay? You look at so many people today in our world are up to their eyeballs in debt, and we think, well, everybody else is just making payments on everything. I guess I will too. There's so many things you look at, everybody's doing it. Everybody else is sleeping in on Sundays, so I guess I will too. When it comes to following Jesus, if everybody's doing it, it's probably wrong. When Jesus says that the wide road leads to destruction, he is saying that most people are lost. The way of Jesus is narrow and few find it because it's hard. Now, salvation is free. There is nothing you can do to earn it. But following Jesus is costly. These words ought to shake us from our complacency and cause us to consider our commitment to Christ. Notice the order that Jesus gives here. The gate comes first, then the road. The gate comes first. Jesus offers us, by grace, invitation to life. And when we accept that invitation, we enter through the narrow gate. And the road is narrow. The narrow road describes the life of discipleship that we embark on after entering through the gate. Okay, so this is not works-based righteousness. Discipleship follows the free gift of salvation. There is no other way to life. There is no other way to avoid destruction than the narrow way. Eternal life comes only through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4, verse 12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, I don't know, maybe you hear that, and you think that sounds arrogant. You think that sounds a little presumptuous, maybe even offensive. I mean, who in the world will make the claim that they are the exclusive only way to God? If someone were to make a claim like that, I'd want some proof. I'd want them to back it up. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus is the only person who has lived a sinless life. Jesus fulfilled in his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, he fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, predictions that were made hundreds, thousands of years before he ever came to the earth, and he fulfilled every one of them. Some of the more famous ones. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that the Messiah would come from the line of David, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Jesus also himself predicted that he would die and then raise three days later. When Jesus resurrected, 
He appeared to multiple people over multiple days in several different locations, and every eyewitness testimony was the same. That person was Jesus of Nazareth. And he didn't just appear to individuals. 1 Corinthians tells us that Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. And then what about the lives of the disciples? These men who had spent three years following Jesus every single day, and they died a martyr's death for the belief that Jesus really did rise from the dead. You don't die for something that you don't believe in. They gave up their lives because they knew that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And I'll tell you, if somebody rises from the dead, then whatever they say, I'm going to do, right? That they have earned that right, it really all hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he has every right to claim to be the only way to God. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, then his claim to be the way, the truth, and the life is not arrogant. It is completely rational. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? If you do, how does that change how you live? Secondly, we see the test of faith. Excuse me, the test of fruit. The test of fruit. And what Jesus means by this is that real Christianity produces a changed life, a fruitful life. Fruit is the product of a person's essential life. So Jesus takes this principle and he applies it to false prophets first and then to people in general second. We see the warning that's given in verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. In August of 2013, a public zoo in the third largest province in China temporarily shut down due to a very unusual problem. Visitors discovered that the zoo's lion was actually a dog posing as a lion. According to a report in a Beijing newspaper, the fraud came to light when a mother and her child visited the zoo and the animal labeled an African lion started barking. The outraged mother said, the zoo is absolutely cheating us. I paid good money for these tickets, and I feel defrauded. The zookeepers admitted that the so-called lion was actually a Tibetan mastiff, a large dog with three brown coats. They also admitted that other zoo animals had been misplaced. Apparently, a white fox in the leopard's den, and another dog was being passed off as a wolf. Zoo staff also swapped out two snakes at the reptile house with two giant sea cucumbers. The chief of the park's animal department claimed that they really did have a lion, but it was away at a breeding facility. The dog belonged to an employee, and it was there for safety reasons. A zoo's spokesperson said, we're doing our best in tough economic times. 
Well, just as zoo officials tried to pass off a dog as a lion, false teachers will try to pass off falsehood as truth. So how can we tell? How can we tell truth from error? How can we tell the difference between a false prophet and the real thing? Jesus says, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. First, look at the content of their teaching. The content of their teaching. A false prophet can only be someone who does not advocate for the narrow way presented by Jesus. You will see that false teachers always diminish Jesus. They make him out to be something less than Scripture describes him. That they'll say that he's not really God, he just appears to be God. He's not equal with the Father. He, he's, not, he's not eternal. For example, in Mormonism, they have a doctrine called the law of eternal progression. And it goes like this. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. That, that's dangerous. In, in Mormonism, Jesus is not eternal and he is not equal with the Father. They denied the Trinity. Now, not everything that a false prophet or a false teacher says is completely false. There is some truth in what they're saying, but they don't tell the whole truth, which makes their whole message false. You look at the content of their teaching. You also look at the conduct of their life. A false prophet's life will almost always be self-serving. What they do serves their own self-interest. They ask, well, what do I have to gain from this? How does this make me look good? How can I get people to believe my ideas, not God's truth? Commentator William Barclay says, the true shepherd cares for the flock more than he cares for his life. The wolf cares for nothing but to satisfy his own gluttony and his own greed. The false prophet is in the business of teaching, not for what he can give to others, but for what he can get for himself. Jesus teaches that behavior flows from character. And in Christian teaching, character comes from being born again, not through self-discipline, not through any other means, but by being born again of the Spirit. Now, now here's the trick. For a while, the fruit of a false prophet might appear to be genuine. You might look at them and be like, wow, they, they sound good, they, their life looks good, but here's the problem. A false prophet will never stand the test of time. The nature of a false prophet cannot be hidden forever. Sooner or later, he will show himself for who he truly is. And so a false prophet does not teach the narrow way of Jesus, and they do not live the narrow way of Jesus. In these verses here, Jesus is making a direct link between belief and conduct. What someone believes sooner or later will manifest itself in their life. And that leads us thirdly to the choice of relationship. The choice of relationship. This is what Jesus says in verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? 
And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This may be one of the most eye-opening passages in all of Scripture. Jesus says we must not only guard against false prophets, but also false disciples. There are people who think that they know Jesus, but they don't. There are people sitting in churches all over the world today that think they know Jesus. The problem is they admire Him, but they don't follow Him. The problem is they mistake spiritual activity with spiritual relationship. Jesus says there are people who cry out, Lord, Lord. Now, that oral confession of Jesus as Lord is important, right? It's vital. But that does not always indicate a repentant heart. A confession without repentance does not indicate a heart change. In the same way that that baptism without repentance is just a bath, right? Baptism without any sort of, of heart change, you're just getting wet. The significance of baptism is when it accompanies belief and confession and repentance. So how do we de- de- determine, how do we tell the difference between a false disciple and a genuine follower? The essential characteristic of a genuine disciple of Jesus is obedience. Plain and simple, obedience. It's not loud professions. It's not amazing spiritual experiences. It's not spectacular spiritual triumphs. It's obedience. The Father's will is not simply admired, debated, praised, or discussed. It is done. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Eugene Peterson describes it as a long obedience in the same direction. It's not a flash in the pan. It is a long, consistent obedience to the will of God. D.A. Carson says, no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But God's grace in a person's life will inevitably result in obedience. There was a young mother who was folding laundry while her three-year-old Mackenzie was playing with her toys. Her mom noticed that Mackenzie's shirt was dirty and needed to be changed. After calling two times with no response, her mom gave the full three-name call. Mackenzie Elizabeth Williams, did you hear me? Mackenzie answered, yes, Mama. My ears did, but my legs didn't. You can hear the words of Jesus. You can understand his teachings. But do you follow them? True followers of Jesus obey. Like Jesus in the garden, they say, Lord, not my will be done but your will be done. There are people who mistake spiritual activity with spiritual relationship. Jesus says there are people who did some incredible things. They performed miracles. They cast out demons. They did all these things. And people will point to the same things today. God, I went to church. I even had my assigned seat. I was there every Sunday. Lord, I prayed. 
Lord, I came forward at the church service. I came forward at camp or at CIY. I served on the mission trip. And all in all, we're pointing to activities. When we point to spiritual activity over genuine relationship, Jesus says, I never knew you. That word know, it indicates relationship. It indicates intimacy. It indicates fellowship. College sophomore Danny Foley loved the University of Virginia basketball team. And he just wanted to be a part of the team, even if that meant faking his way onto the court. Danny noticed that all of the team's assistant coaches wore the same suit with a bright orange tie. And so, before Virginia's conference championship game against Duke, he and his friends went searching for some cheap knockoffs. He found everything he needed at Walmart, a suit jacket, suit pants, dress shoes, dress socks, a white dress shirt, and the orange tie. The next morning, he bought $30 knockoff nosebleed tickets just to get in the door, and he headed to the game. During a TV timeout, Danny made his move. He confidently marched past an usher onto the court. Danny said this, I walked right behind the cheerleaders onto the court and joined the team's huddle. Following his team's win, he went for an even bigger thrill. When the game's final buzzer sounded, with Virginia defeating Duke 72-63, to Danny joined his teammates in the handshake line. As the confetti fell around him, Danny got to shake hands with college basketball's all-time winningest coach, the legendary Coach K. Photos from the end of the game show that Danny was wearing a championship game t-shirt over his suit and smiling in front of a confetti-covered arena. After celebrating with coaches and players, Danny was caught by a member of Virginia's coaching staff, but he quickly climbed the railings and disappeared into the stands. Now, I love a good prank, so tip of the cap, well played, Danny. But it got me thinking. I wonder how many people are faking their way through the Christian life. They've bought the suit and tie, they look the part, but they've never really joined the team. And so the coach says, he doesn't belong here. He's not on this team. He's not one of us. I want to ask you today, do you belong to Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And does Jesus know you? Does your life bear good fruit, obeying the Father's will? I don't know if this happened to you when you were in school, but uh, oftentimes, and I think it uh, it happened mostly in middle school, but there was a lot of notes that were being passed in class, right? And so you would be sending notes, you would be receiving notes, and sometimes you were just kind of the middleman, you know, transferring notes to the right person. And a lot of the notes would end up saying something like this, will you go out with me? Check one, yes, no, or maybe. And, and the maybe was always there, right? Because perhaps the person needed a little bit more time to think about it. There is no maybe with Jesus. You are either with him or you're against him. And I want you to understand, this is not harsh. This is incredibly loving. Jesus is saying, I love you so much that I have made a way for you. I sacrificed myself on a cross so that your sins would not be held against you. I died on a cross so that you could spend eternity with me. I love you that much. I am offering you a gate that leads to life. 
church, it really comes down to two choices. You can know Jesus or you can spend eternity with no Jesus. That's the choice. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that he's a good moral teacher? A good set of ethics to follow? Do you believe that he was a prophet, a man of God? Or do you believe that he is Savior and Lord? He is God in flesh. Make no mistake here, Jesus claims divinity because he claims the right to judge which belongs to God alone when he says, away from me, I never knew you. So what's your choice? If our choices today define our eternity tomorrow, make sure that you choose wisely. When the Old Testament prophet Joshua was leading the Israelites, he told them, you've got a choice to make. He says in Joshua 24, 15, if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors that they served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But he says, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve yourself or your own self-interest? Are you going to serve fame and fortune? Or are you going to serve Jesus by following him through the narrow gate? C.S. Lewis says there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. So what's your choice? You've got the wide gate, you've got the narrow gate. You've got bad fruit, you've got good fruit. False discipleship or a genuine follower of Jesus. Two roads diverge in a wood, and I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. Make sure that you choose wisely. Let's pray together. Lord, you've made it clear. There there are two ways and only two. And God, I pray that we would wrestle with the reality that your word tells us that, that most people in this world are heading down the wide road that leads to destruction. So God, I pray that we would seek you and we would understand that you made a way for us, that you have provided a way for us to go through the narrow gate. You have provided a way for us by sending Jesus to die for our sins. And so, God, I pray that we would accept that that free gift and we would embrace on a lifetime of following you. You never promised it would be easy, but you promised it would be worth it. So, God, I pray that for those who have been teetering back and forth, God, help us to choose wisely. Help us to choose the path that you have laid out for us a path that ends in life. If there's anybody here today who has never made that choice, I pray that they would not leave this place today without choosing the narrow gate. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.